You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. Hey, what's up? Welcome to Commute, the podcast, episode number four. I'm Dave, he's Jay, and over the next 15 minutes, we will hopefully make you smarter on your way to work or wherever it may be that you are commuting today. Hey, want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to Commute. We've had some great responses through our first three episodes and just super thankful uh, that you guys have taken some time to add us to your podcast rotation. I know that there are a lot of podcasts out there and a lot of things um, asking and pining for your time and we really appreciate uh, you spending uh, a part of your drive and your commute with us. And we also want to ask you to rate, subscribe, and review. Please, 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 to commute the podcast on whatever podcast platform you listen to shows on. Also, you can find us on social. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and those handles are in the show notes of this episode. But on today's episode of Commute the Podcast, baseball cards, weren't they a thing of the past? More people around the world are playing chess than ever before. We'll explore why. Champion, the clothing brand. Isn't it lame? All of that on this episode of Commute. Let's get to it. All right, so Jay, have you ever spent money on something like a baseball card? You know, uh, Beanie Babies were a a huge thing at one time in our lifetimes, and we'll talk about Beanie Babies on an episode of Commute, but have you ever spent money on something that either you viewed it as a collectible, or it's just something that you thought this might have some worth to it? You know, I have, uh, just kind of in my youth, just kind of the typical ones, you know, the Pokemon card craze, the Beanie Baby craze, uh, did a little bit of baseball and basketball cards, but outside of that, not really. Well, something that has really fascinated me, Jay, is the return of the popularity of baseball card sales. So when I was young in the late 80s and the early 90s, baseball cards were a thing. So people would buy cards, they would sell cards, they would trade cards. Well, it kind of went away. You know, hobby shops were abundant in the mid-80s and in the early 90s, and kids like me collected cards thinking that either this was really cool to have a, a card of a player that I really enjoyed, or maybe I'd, I'd keep this and it could one day pay for my college. The industry just kind of fell apart, the bubble burst, it went away in the mid to late 90s, and a lot of card shops went out of business. Well, Jay, from April... To May of 2020, eBay sales, which are a really good indicator of uh, how popular an industry is, grew by an estimated 250% when it comes to the sale of baseball cards. Now, why did that happen? I think there are a lot of reasons for it, but you got to start with the pandemic. It gave people an opportunity to sit back and once again feel nostalgia, to think again about the financial prospects of buying and selling cards. There are a lot of good promising young stars in the uh, baseball card and sport card industry. A lack of competition for consumers' entertainment And there's a lot of disposable income that came with COVID-19 for a lot of folks. So that mix of ingredients sent collectors into a frenzy when it comes to sport cards, and the business is 
booming as we rifle into 2021. As more money gets thrown around at things like baseball cards, card collecting once again is no longer an eight-year-old's game where you buy a $1 a $1 pack of cards and you look to collect your favorite player. Now it's actually an investment. In 2020, a LeBron James rookie card sold at auction for $1.8 million. Earlier that same month, an unopened case of 1986 and 1987 Flair basketball cards, now that's the year that Michael Jordan was a rookie, sold for $1.78 million. And also last year, Mike Trout, the star for the Angels in Major League Baseball, his 2009 rookie card sold for $3.9 million. Jay, that set a record. It became the most expensive sports card ever sold at auction. What do you think's driving it? Do you think it's more that, you know, people are just, they're stuck in their home, so they're looking through their stuff, and they're like, oh man, here's this old card with Michael Jordan on it, maybe it's worth something. Or do you think it's just more that people are spending so much time online now, and they're gathering more in these communities? This is a great example of what 2020 brought to our world. Trading card collecting was really well-suited for a lockdown scenario and social distancing. I mean, both of those things lend themselves to this industry. People can now share their collections of cards on social media that didn't exist back then. People can even open packs on YouTube and watch each other do it. You know, I thought watching kids play video games on YouTube was insane. This takes the cake. All right, Dave, and that leads nicely into our next segment, which is about the game chess. Chess in its current form has been played over 500 years, but it is being played more now in 2021 than it ever has before. So before we start, let me just ask you, uh, what's your experience like with chess? Do you know how to play? Do you know the rules? Do you have a long history with chess or no history at all? Horrible at chess. Um, I have some family members who actually played chess on high school teams, and I was recently taken down in, I think, 13 moves by my 10-year-old niece. Well, I have been picking up chess a lot more recently. It seems like during the COVID pandemic, kind of being locked indoors, I was playing a lot more on my phone. I was playing online. And let me say, like, uh, this isn't an insult. You'll probably take it that way, but you look like a chess guy. I guess I don't take it as an insult. I mean, you know, the the caricature (laughs) of the chess guy is uh, maybe uh, an insult. Okay, so in February on chess.com, 142 million games were played. In March, and we're talking about 2020, 192 million games were played. So we had a jump of 50 million games between February and March, whenever the real uh, lockdown started occurring because of COVID. And it only went up from there. So chess was already kind of, taking these steps upward during the pandemic. But then a show came out on Netflix called The Queen's Gambit. I know I've watched The Queen's Gambit. Uh, I know you were in the middle of watching it. Did you ever finish it? I did finish it. And I never thought, and you told me this when I started watching it. You said, you will stand up and cheer. You'll just get so stressed out from watching a chess game. You never thought it was possible. And you were 100% correct. You know, and The Queen's Gambit is one of Netflix's most popular shows of all time. Yeah. It, uh, I think about 68 million households watched The Queen's Gambit within the first 28 days or something like that, which is really, really high. It's It ranks as one of their top shows. And it's no coincidence that after that show came out, you saw a further explosion in the chess community. Uh, that show came out in the fall. Within 10 days of The Queen's Gambit coming out, chess, just the word chess, doubled on Google searches. 
Chess boards on eBay were sold at a 273% increase than normal over the Christmas season. Within a couple months, you started to see the memberships of chess.com explode. In November, 2 million new members were added to chess.com. In January of 2021, 1 million members were added in just a week. And then in February of 2021, chess.com became a top 200 website on the entire internet. It's kind of this combination, right? You have COVID, people are indoors. It's kind of ironic because chess is this game that you play just a few feet away from each other. But now you've got people playing it online. They're playing it and streaming it online. They're on Twitch and YouTube streaming themselves playing chess. And those are becoming popular channels. On December 11th, there was the semifinal of the Chess.com Speed Chess Championship. 70,000 people tuned in to watch that. That's the size of a sports stadium tuning in to watch this event. And something else that I think is just fascinating about this is the the type of people who are joining. So it's people from all walks of life. It's people like me who played in their youth and then is picking it back up now. But chess has never really been known for its diversity. It's typically been a kind of a white male dominated game. And we're really starting to see that change. A little bit of that is owed to the Queen's Gambit. For example, pre-pandemic, only 22% of online chess players were women. And now post-pandemic, 27% of online chess users are women. So you're seeing a 5% increase. So if you think about in a world without the internet, you'd have to learn chess from your dad or your, you know, your uncle or someone at your school or the old man sitting in the park playing chess or whatever, or pick up a chess book. But now you can log in, you can get on YouTube and watch a video, you can download an app and learn how. And so chess is becoming more accessible now than it ever has. You're seeing chess in a way kind of almost reinvent itself for the modern world. What do you think our forefathers would think when they, if they could ask us now, what do you all do for fun? And we said, well, we watch people play chess and we watch people open cards. Well, I don't think it would be what they expect, um, but we'd have, to, we'd have to take a few hours to explain some context first. And Jay, another comeback story, much like chess, is the clothing brand Champion. So I remember a time in the not-too-distant past when if you wore Champion, it kind of meant you were lame. Now, you're kind of lame if you don't, especially if you're in a certain demographic. So how did Champion go from a clothing brand you didn't want to be caught dead in to a clothing brand that people will pay an extreme amount of money to wear? So the founders of Champion, William and Abraham Feinblum, originally sold Champion-branded clothing to college campuses and college teams. Michigan State was a very prominent place that you could find Champion apparel when the brand originally showed up on the scene. They also created something that I'm actually wearing right now. They are credited with creating the hoodie. The hoodie served many people. It not only functioned as a piece of athletic wear, but it also functioned as something that you and I will wear while we're eating Cheetos and sitting on our couch. After the Fine Bloom brothers created Champion and started to market it to college campuses, it quickly became the face of sportswear in America. The guys made some important partnerships. So outside of the college world, they started to make uh, partnerships with the NCAA the NFL, 
I have old 90s NBA jerseys, including Dream Team jerseys, the Michael Jordan, um, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson Olympic team of the 90s. All of those are champion branded apparel. So as champion began to rise... The Sarah Lee Corporation. Now, you may think, now, where have I heard the Sarah Lee name before? Sarah Lee is a company that owns a lot of food products. So the Sarah Lee Corporation bought Champion for $320 million in cash, allowing Champion to expand even further than it had before. So Champion, at this point, really held the world's attention until things started to crash. Now, industry insiders credit the crash of Champion to two things that the Sara Lee Corporation became more interested in food products and less interested in champion in clothing. And the XFL, which actually came back around in 2020 for a hot minute, the XFL, which originally came around in uh, the early 2000s, started to sink after it had branded with champion. So as people started to lose interest, the XFL fell apart. Champion then started to find itself out of Foot Locker and in to Walmart. And so as champion became a cheap brand, people didn't want to wear it anymore. So how did the comeback happen? How did champion go from the bargain bin at Walmart to a clothing brand that celebrities wear? Well, at first, it changed hands. So the Haynes brand bought it from the Sara Lee Corporation in 2006. And over the course of the next 10 years, the Haynes brand got something right, Jay. The Haynes brand said, if you're going to be cool, you got to hang out with cool kids. As Champion became a brand that celebrities would wear because the Haynes brand asked celebrities to wear it, it began to partner with companies like PacSun, clothing brands that built what's called streetwear, an emphasis on uh, logos, an emphasis on branding. So you could go into a PacSun store and buy a hoodie with a huge C on it. And all of a sudden, that's what kids wear. You know, you're a high school teacher. You know you see those things in the hallway. You know, and I'm glad that you've added a little bit of context to this for me because I remember Champion in the same way you do. I remember growing up in the 90s, Champion was kind of that sweatshirt or shirt that you're, you just hoped your mom didn't bring home. People didn't really wear it. And then I remember when I started teaching and, you know, I got a couple of years down the road, I started seeing kids in the hall with Champion all the time. And it was this really strange resurgence of 90s. You had kids wearing Space Jam jerseys. You had kids, you know, wearing old uh, cartoon characters from the 90s that they weren't even alive to see. And and Champion was was a part of that. And is marketing just that simple? Is it just that you you know, you get cool people to wear your stuff and they'll buy it and people will buy it and it'll be huge and popular. And if lame people wear your stuff, then they don't buy it. I mean, what can Champion teach us about marketing? Well, I'm glad you asked this because Champion can teach us this. And I'm going to read this directly from medium.com, which is where I got a lot of information about the rise and the fall of Champion, because I think the author puts it perfectly. And from a marketing perspective, I couldn't say it any better. The author says, the feeling of being cool seems to be an important selling factor. Champion can teach us this. In psychological terms, humans have an innate desire to feel important and belong. After all, we're a social species. Following trends and wearing cool brands is a simple demonstration of how strongly this desire can influence us. If we want to sell something, appealing to a trend is a must. It was half of the equation for champion success. Move with the market, and the market will follow you. 
Well, that'll do it for this week's edition of Commute the Podcast. Remember, please rate, review, and subscribe to Commute on your favorite podcast platform and give us a follow on social. All our social handles are available in the show notes. Also, if you know anybody that would dig what we're trying to do with the podcast, would you mind sharing it? We're really excited about the community we're building around our mission to make your commute less painful. So Music for Commute is provided by Jason Sammons. And if you'd like to go deeper on any of today's stories, you'll find links in the show notes. For Jay Sisson, I'm Dave Traub. Hopefully you've arrived safely and we can't wait to hang out with you again next week.